Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Michael's Astrology Hotline. Now, I'm super excited to be sitting here right now with one of our listeners who is here to talk some astrology with me about her chart and about some of the concerns that she has at this moment. So welcome, Calder. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. I'm super happy to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm super excited to finally get a really good, solid reading. So thank you. Good stuff. You're so welcome. Um, well, I'm looking to focus on uh, my romance in the chart. I have, I'm kind of a, like just out of a relationship that was like in and out for a really long time. And um, just looking to see like in this year, so like my solar return, if there's any potential for a new love relationship to develop. And then as well, career, because I do have some things that are fluctuating in my career as well. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let us go and look at that within your chart. All right. So the chart information is the 1st of June, 1988. And the time of birth is 11.33 a.m. in Fargo, North Dakota. And the ascendant is 24 degrees, Leo, 17 minutes rising. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Good stuff. So here within your chart, I think one of the very first things that I always do is I take a look at the ascendant because the ascendant gives us a sense of where we are, but it also gives us a sense of who you are and how you're navigating life in general. So at 24 degrees, Leo rising, you have a fixed fire sign ruled by the sun rising. And what that usually would indicate is that you have a very strong sense of yourself. You have a very strong sense of your fire and what you bring to the world. And usually when we have a fixed fire sign rising, it can indicate that we have a strong sense of how we're shining brightly in the world, but we're also able to identify how other people shine as well. And that's a part of what makes the Leo such an attractive energy, as it were, because there's this feeling of the Leo being able to empower in other people that same sense of self-empowerment that the Leonian person finds themselves carrying within themselves. Now, that would be our typical Leo delineation. However, I've often said that it really takes a lot for a Leo to manifest as a textbook Leo. And some of the things that can, quote unquote, get in the way of a Leo manifesting in a textbook Leonian fashion would be if the ruler of the Leo ascendant, i.e. the sun, were in a cadent house, such as the sixth house or the twelfth house. And I dare say, especially the sixth house and the twelfth house, third house, ninth house are okay as far as the sun is concerned, but the sixth house and the twelfth house definitely cut something from underneath the inner workings of Leo as we think about Leo. So that's one of the things. Another thing that can get in the way of a Leo type manifesting in a textbook Leo way could be a square, opposition, conjunction, parallel, contraparallel, sesquiquadrate, semi-square, any of our hard aspect relationships between the sun and in particular, Saturn and Neptune. 
Those are two things that can really alter some of the foundational ways in which we think a quote-unquote Leo type of person would move through the world. And I don't really like speaking about signs in that way. I'd rather talk about planets. So a hard aspect with either Saturn or Neptune can really alter the way in which a solar type of person is manifesting within the world. And what we see within your chart is while you don't necessarily have any direct Saturn-Neptune traditional aspects within your natal chart, you do have the Saturn-Neptune contraparallel relationship to your sun. And that's a very interesting combination because both of those things greatly alter our relationship to being the textbook, bright and shiny, arrogant, egotistical Leo type. So when we see the sun in relationship with Neptune, it automatically causes you to be a far more sensitive person. And it causes you to not just be a more sensitive person, but it also can have an impact on making you that much more sensitive to the suffering of others around you. We oftentimes find people with Sun-Neptune contacts being able to work in therapeutic professions, and those therapeutic professions can be working in medicine or working in massage or working in counseling or working in some other sort of healing modality. Because what the Neptune does is it gives you a deepened sense of your own intuitive faculties, and it allows you to dive into another person's experiences and understand what that person is experiencing from within themselves, which ultimately makes you become a better healer, counselor, therapist type. But it also allows that to be a work that you're naturally drawn towards doing in general. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. My whole life, I feel like people have always looked to me for that, come to me for that. And I'm, you know, I've learned to shut it off and not shut it off, but I've learned to, um, I don't have to always feel people's stuff. Like I can t really tune into people and feel everything that they're going through. But I can also just say like, not today, not you. Like it's become now, it's, a, it's something I do for work. It is mm -hmm. part of my work. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you would say that you now have the ability to shut that off because I think that that ties into the Saturn piece of this contraparallel relationship as well. So with the Sun-Saturn connection, it says that you can manifest within the world as someone who is more responsible or as someone who's taking on the responsibilities and the stuff of other people around you. But one of the things that we know about Saturn in general is that Saturn has the ability to help us learn how to establish uh, boundaries. Now, within your chart, the boundary thing is interesting because there is a part of you, I mean, just looking at this astrologically, that also struggles with really establishing boundaries in a very clear-cut sort of way. And as I look at your chart, I think if you do find yourself having the ability to establish strong boundaries, the thing that makes that happen for you could possibly be the fact that you have the sun in a quincunx relationship with Pluto. And the sun-Pluto can be about 
us knowing and having to learn at a very young age how to deal with themes of power and powerlessness. And I think the Sun Pluto has the ability to harden something within us that for some people could be a very necessary thing. People in general who have Sun Pluto might receive that hardness and it might cause them to turn into, I don't know, turn into concrete. But for you, you have the Sun Pluto, which is a hardening, very boundary specific combination, but you also have the Sun Neptune, which is a softening and a dissolving combination. So the fact that you've figured out how to walk between those two places without necessarily being overwhelmed by the contradiction between those two ways of being is a very cool thing because it says that you've grown into something that probably earlier in your life started off as a real challenge. Yeah, it was. Um, I think um, also just because growing up, it always seemed, um, well, my whole family has cancer rising. <laughs> so they all are just cancer rising, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's very different to the Leo. And so I always feel like I'm the one who's just like, um, I'm less emotional. Like, I just like, don't have to be emotional. Like, it's just not really me. And so I always feel like I'm like this mediator. And, you know, there's always like that power dynamic that's going on. And uh, my dad has Mars on his MC. And so does my sister. And so like, I've just learned to really, um, to, to work with that energy of combativeness and not, because mm -hmm. it's just coming from over emotions. So yeah, mm -hmm, that taught me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, I mean, just thinking about how this could potentially apply to a sense of career directionality, I think that you already doing the work that you're doing in terms of your healing practice and in terms of using the skills that you've acquired in that way, I think that that's a really great thing. And your chart basically says that you're operating in the right direction, as it were. We have the sun for you in your natal 10th house. And usually when we see the sun in the 10th, we consider that to mean that this is a person who is shining primarily through the work she is doing within the world. And not only do you just have the regular schmegler sun in the 10th, but you also have the sun as the rule of your ascendant in the 10th house. And that's even further indicating that your career, your relationship to your work, and really figuring out what you're doing for work really early on is a very big deal for you. It's something that you want to figure out. It's something that you feel very driven and very guided by. And it leans you in the direction of having a very strong career orientation. Now, I think insofar as your career is concerned, we do have some other things that prove as potential challenges, as well as opportunities for you from a career perspective. Within your chart, we have the Venus as the specific ruler of your career with Venus ruling the 10th house of mother and career. And we have your Venus in an oppositional relationship to both Uranus and your moon. And so one of the things that that says is that the career for you could potentially be not necessarily the most stable environment. 
And by virtue of you having the Venus in a mutable sign as well as retrograde, it can also indicate that you switch careers relatively frequently or that you find yourself in a place where you have done a lot of different things or a lot of odd things that don't necessarily have a relationship to each other because the Venus Uranus is I'm excited about this thing I'm doing this thing now and I also I'm excited about that other thing I'm doing this thing now and I'm also excited about this other thing and I'm doing this thing now and so when we see Venus Uranus coming up as a career signature it can very well indicate a sense of uh, an extraordinary amount of flux within the realm of career. And a big part of that flux can be you trying to figure out what really represents your true north from a career perspective. And that can take you into wild and bizarre things that you're doing for career. And it can take you into things that feel very freeing and things that feel very liberating because the Venus Uranus is a combination that has the ability to allow you to explore the full gamut of career possibilities. Now, the potential issue with that is if we continue to live within that liminal space of career possibility without ever really consolidating a singular sense of what our career will be. And so that's one of the things to watch out for in terms of the Venus Uranus, as far as career is concerned. It's also going to tell us something about relationships when we start talking about that topic of your life. But as far as career is concerned, I mean, that's one of the things that we find with the Venus Uranus. Now, another thing that you do have here with the Venus Uranus as well is that they are aspecting each other from the 11th and the fifth house. And you have the fifth house ruler here conjunct your midheaven essentially. Now, sometimes when we have the ruler of the fifth house conjunct the midheaven, that can be an indication that the career that we're doing is a career that's either very much in the creative industry. It can also be a career that we're doing that is a career with children. And I mean, this is something that we find in the charts of a lot of teachers, teachers of children or young adults, where they have the ruler of the fifth house conjunct the ascendant or the 10th house cusp, or where we have the ruler of the 10th and the fifth or the ruler of the first and the fifth or anything like that. It can have to do with you either working in a creative field, which is one uh, designation of that. And then the other side of that could have to do with you having a sense of enjoyment of either creating things for children, working with children, or bringing that into your work environment in some way, which is interesting. Because if we think about children, we kind of also think about the moon and the moon's capacity to either be a mother, either on a physical level or on an emotional level. And you have the moon Uranus. And the moon Uranus by combination is an interesting combination because it doesn't necessarily want to fulfill the role of motherhood in the stereotypical standard sort of way. We sometimes find women with moon Uranus who don't even want to have children to begin with because that act of 
of tying oneself down with children can be something that they feel takes away from their freedom to explore all of the creative potentials and avenues within their lives. So the moon Uranus is something that's a little bit touch and go as far as kids are concerned, because the moon Uranus would rather explore the creative possibilities of the fifth house and use that as a part of the work that it's doing within the world and not necessarily working in a preschool or working in a high school for that matter. Does, does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, early on, I like always wanted to have an orphanage for some reason. Um, like I always said, that was something when I retire, like maybe I'll have an orphanage when I retire and I'll teach them like metaphysical topics and like all that beautiful stuff. Like I just had this vision, like, um, but I am a young adult author. And so that makes sense. And, you know, the career, I have gone through many different types of ideas. Like I always wanted to be a fashion designer, but actually screenwriting and um, being an author allowed me to take all these strange things from circus to, you know, fashion design from theater and put them all together in one beautiful package. And that's what writing has done for me. And so, yes, I've had all these strange careers and I do want to have kids eventually. And, you know, maybe that's why I haven't found my ideal partner yet. Cause the universe is like, you know, she's not going to want to settle down quite yet. Um, but yeah, working in a preschool kindergarten is totally not my, not my thing, but um, yeah, yeah, you're right on. Awesome. 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 And, you know, I think another side of this as well, I mean, so there's so much to talk about with this and, and thank you for filling in the piece about your writing work, because we also see that writing work coming up within your chart as well. You have the Mercury in Gemini and it's receiving the opposition from the moon and in opposition to the Uranus. And I think that those things collectively, the whole Mercury and Gemini with the Uranus and the moon can be something that causes your mind to move very quickly. And it also is something that causes you to be able to string together information in a quick way as well. I think the flip side of this Mercury moon Uranus combination is that that's oftentimes something that we also see with people who could be, you know, a little bit, you know, their, their brain is moving in multiple directions at the same time. And it can be difficult to really hone in your mental prowess, as it were, or it can be difficult to really force yourself to stay committed to one particular path of action or to one particular goal structure for very long. And just because this Mercury technically is the ruler of your 11th house, the 11th house, as we know, represents the fulfillment of our desires. And in opposition to the Uranus, it says that not only is my mind a big part of how I fulfill my desires in the world, but my mind is also moving a thousand miles per hour and it's acquiring desires from everywhere. And it's acquiring desires and dropping desires. And this acquisition and dropping continues to be a major part of your life. And so the universe is really also wanting to say to you, hey, pick one thing. Don't pick several things. Don't pick a thing and a half. 
Like pick one thing and allow that one thing to be the thing that really gives you a sense of directionality because you've done all of the mutable side of things already through the acquisition of all of the information that you've gained and the skills that you've gained. But now it's time to really hone all of those talents into one specific course of action and the writing for sure is a wonderful way to utilize Mercury Uranus because when we write, we burn off some of the Uranus, which can manifest sometimes as an anxiety or it can manifest even sometimes as an insomnia or a staying up at night. When we write that stuff out and divest ourselves of that information on paper, it allows us to really be living in alignment with our natal promise but also not feeling as if we're exhausted by that natal promise. So writing could very well be a reprieve for you for that. And I think the other side of the Mercury Uranus is that it can keep you connected always to a flow of creative thought. So you'll always be able to write and you'll always be able to produce in that way. And the only thing would be to say, hey, let's force ourselves to stay connected to one goal, or hey, let's force ourselves to really establish ourselves in this one creative endeavor and see it through to its end. Because oftentimes when we have this combination, we can also pick things up quickly and drop them just as quickly. And we wanna stare clear of that, especially if you're trying to chart a path forward for yourself in terms of your personal success. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, I. When I became a Buddhist is actually when I actually um, decided to write the screenplay that, and it really helped me just focus. So actually I do chant a lot throughout the day. Like it's just probably like, I used to do it hours every day just because it would really just help me clear my mind and focus. Um, Cause yeah, I do have, I study all the time. Like study is my happy place, obviously. Cause my moon is in Sagittarius, right? I know, I know you don't like that, but like my moon, you know my moon is in my fifth house. Right. And, um, but it's the ruler of my 12th house, but it, so it's kind of myself undoing is like studying. I love to study, but through my studying, I'm able to, you know, accumulate these ideas for my stories. So you are absolutely right with that. And yeah, I do have, um, what I thought was insomnia, but it's just my mind tricking me. It's like, I'm really tired and I think I'm not going to sleep, but then I'll fall asleep. So I don't know if it's actually insomnia or if I'm just like psyching myself up. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Now, the last piece I want to talk about here, just from the work side of things before we move on to the love, is that you also have the moon in opposition to the Venus. And moon Venus is, I would eat from someone who has moon Venus because the moon Venus knows how to create a good environment from the perspective of food and feeding and taking care of people and pleasure and that sort of thing. I think the one thing that probably makes you less of a homey type is the fact that you do have the moon in Sagittarius in the conjunction with the Uranus. And so it's kind of touch and go. Um, for the most part. So if you were to open a restaurant, it probably would be, you know, like some form of 
immediate food or some form of fast food because uh, moon uranus eats quickly digests quickly to get it out of the way because food is kind of just a process that has to be done so it's kind of like tapas or finger food or something to that effect it's a very uh it's a very nitpicky quick eat quick digest keep running out the front door sort of combination and so probably if you were to go into something like that the culinary arts uh, that would be an idea for you in terms of creating an experience that's really uh, artistic and retro because the Venus Uranus there is also a sense of fashion, of something that's bizarre and unique and creatively inspired, something that people haven't seen before. So you'd probably be able to bring together your love of fashion, essentially, and your love of creating in that way also with something that appeases people's taste buds insofar as food is concerned. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I'm a raw vegan. And so I always create like, you know, raw vegan food that people have never seen. And people are always like, what are you eating? Like, you know, I live on ice cream sometimes, you know, I, I'm kind of like the type of person that just eats the same thing every day because I like it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's really good and healthy for me and it's easy and I grow my own sprouts and I've taught a few people how to grow sprouts and my sister's people that she lives on their land want me to come teach them how to grow sprouts. And so, yeah, it's, um, I love creating food. Like I don't do it for myself necessarily, but if I have people that are coming over, like I will create them stuff and do something special then. But yeah, you're right with that. Mm -hmm. And diet, diet and health is a huge part of my life. Yeah, I don't know if it's that Saturn right there. <laughs> well, you know, I think that as far as health is concerned, I mean, is that something you want to talk about for a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't mind talking about health. It's been a really interesting, I've never had any major health issues, but I've always been very pro health. Well, no, I guess I did because I used to eat really unhealthy when I was a child. Mm. Obviously, I grew up in the 90s with like fruit roll-ups and go <laughs> gushers and stuff, <laughs> Doritos. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we can talk about that for sure. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So I think that your health consciousness is really ahead of the bell curve for you in a lot of regards, because you do have the sun and the quincunx relationship to the Neptune. And a part of the sensitivity that that brings you is a sensitivity of your actual physique. And so one of the things that we would say to someone with sun Neptune is to really figure out how they're going to create boundaries and barriers for themselves within the world at large, because Sun Neptune, from a medical astrology perspective, does have to do with a more susceptible etheric body. And what that means is that, you know, someone sneezes and, and you catch pneumonia or something like that, because the Sun Neptune, the Sun is really our measure for vitality in life in general. And while the Sun Neptune does make you very sensitive in terms of facilitating the sort of work that you're doing with other people, it still says, hey, if you're going to do healing work, you need to figure out a way how to really 
create strong boundaries between yourself and the people who you're working with because the Neptunian side of things has the ability to weaken your own vitality and to make you susceptible to picking things up from other people and not just on like an emotional level but also on a physical level so the fact that you are thinking about your health and you're very health conscious and very mindful of that side of things is a very great thing that you've already started to get in front of uh just because it's something that we see here within your chart as well yeah that's um that's really good yeah when i do like expos and stuff like that i usually fast the day before because you know fasting makes you less susceptible to, to accepting energetic spirits and all that kind of stuff so um yeah i'm really good at like clearing off that stuff but i would say i definitely as a child would always think people didn't like me because I would just be like, God, they really don't like me, but they're smiling at me. This is and like, I was super young. And so I used to be really shy because I would feel everybody's stuff and I never knew how to make sense of it. And so, you know, going through high school and everything, I had a phase of like Uranian behavior completely on point 100%. Um, that helped me shut all of that off. But um, yeah. Mm -hmm. We are going to dive now into your love and romance side of things, which there's quite a bit here as it relates to that. Here within your chart, you have the ruler of your seventh house is this Saturn, essentially in a conjunction with Neptune. Now, I usually take conjunctions with a bit of a smaller orb but whatever we see you have the saturn neptune here and we also see the saturn neptune by declination over here as well so we're willing to view this saturn and neptune as working together with each other now saturn neptune representing your partner as well as the partner being retrograde in his own 11th house is kind of a big statement one of the things that this can indicate is well first of all let's talk about the 11th house the 11th house is a house where our desires are fulfilled it's literally the house of fulfillment of desire and very often the 11th house can be a house that we go to so that we don't necessarily have to quote unquote get our shit together and so when we find our partner in his own 11th house, one of the things that that's saying to us is that this guy has a lot of dreams, a lot of ambitions, a lot of, and ambition is probably not the best word because he's here conjunct Neptune. So probably another word that isn't ambition would be more appropriate, but he's a guy who has a lot of dreams and those dreams may essentially be pipe dreams for all intents and purposes because the 11th house is a house of dreaming and so that's the first piece and i think the second thing is that even closer than his relationship to the neptune is the out of sign conjunction to the uranus so what this is saying is that romances for you or people for you guys could essentially enter your life in a quick way and they could be exciting people who kind of sweep you off of your feet and then at the same time the speed with which they enter your life is also indicative of the speed with which they might leave because they aren't really entering in a way that feels as if they have a lot of stability that they're bringing with them and so they might be very exciting they might be 
very much people who turn you on by virtue of it being in your fifth house and it's the Saturn and the Uranus. But at the same time, it, they may not actually be serving as the most stabilizing force within your environment. And not only that, but we do have the Neptune here in that as well. And it's a bit wide in comparison to the Uranus, but we still have the Neptune as a factor. And so on the one hand, we have the guy that comes in quickly, the guy that leaves quickly, the guy that does everything too quickly, essentially. And that probably isn't setting up the greatest sense of relational satisfaction. And on the other hand, we have the guy in need. And the guy in need is a very peculiar sort of individual because his needs may be substantial with the Saturn-Neptune combination. The Saturn-Neptune, if the Saturn is representing a person, can represent a person who's either physically unwell in terms of someone who might be physically sick in one way or another, but it could also represent someone who is coming into our lives with addictive tendencies. And seeing him in his 11th house is kind of already something that leans in that direction that he is really concerned with living his best life. The Uranus is only adding to that, making this person be someone who is really concerned with living their best life. And here today, gone today, always on the road, always moving too fast, always doing things too quickly. But then when we add the Neptune to that combination as well, it can also bring in this notion of him also being someone who either needs to be taken care of or someone who is coming in with addictive habit patterns and tendencies, whether that's too much alcohol, which is usually the case with Neptune, is too much alcohol, or is too much of some substance that causes that person to not really be able to show up in your life in the most stabilizing sort of way. And ultimately, because of the inherent instability within the Saturn Uranus, it could possibly cause that person to either break out of your life or just go just disappear. I mean, uh, when we have Lord Seven with Uranus, that can also be someone who just ghosts us or just disappears and then shows back up six months later as if nothing happened. And so we find that the, the person within your child and so far as your person is concerned, isn't really seeming to be a person who has that much stickability or that much longevity attached to him. Now, I think the great part about you being born in 1988 is that you've already gone through your Saturn return. And I think going through your Saturn return at least once is a very big deal as far as experiencing this type of character at least one time in your life. Because if you have this within your birth chart, you are going to experience this type of character at least one time within your life. But post-Saturn return, when we see something like this within our charts, it usually represents someone who we either connected with or who we were with for a while before our Saturn return. So the good news is that if you've already experienced this person, if you've already gone through these situations with this person, you don't need to repeat these habits later on within the future. So this could very well be representing someone who you've already been in relationship with. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it represents probably every long-term partner I've been with. Like, I feel like my son has been their clinging point. Like they want, I always feel like they want to just like 
putting my little fairy self in their like cage almost, you know, like, no, you're my little fairy. And you know what I mean? Like, you're going to be this thing for me. And so, um, yeah, my last partner, he was, you know, I met him in Mount Shasta and he lived there and, you know, very Mount Shasta grounded Saturnian, you know, but definitely, um, um, happy and content with just existing, which I have my son. Tenth, and so he had his son in the fourth. It's a little different story. Um, and then my partner before that was, you know, an academic. We met in salsa class, an amazing relationship. But I think for him, I was almost like his culture person. And so I feel like I do, yeah, these people, and then another partner I had who was like a skateboarder who was also like this too. And they all have these big dreams and ambition, not ambitions, like you said, but yeah, I get it. Um, and they did come in all fast. And then um, you know, it's kind of like, I, it's almost, yeah, like once I break this boundary that they try to put up, you know, and it's interesting, then it just like all of a sudden like falls apart, like I'm holding it together. And so yeah, I definitely have, this resonates with these types of people I've been with. And I tend to not do a lot of universal significatory sort of stuff. But I think that within the chart of a woman, I always look for the sun, especially for a heterosexual woman. I always look for the sun in order to see what is happening to that sun everywhere. And I think on the one hand, what you have described about yourself being the sun within your own life with the sun Pluto and the sun Neptune makes sense. But we also see this other side of things in terms of that sun also being a universal significator for man within your own life in general. And so we have the sun Neptune uh, showing up in the declination table and also the sun in the quincunx relationship to the Neptune directly, both of which are saying that oftentimes when we see sun Neptune, it's a person who can't get it up for lack of a better word. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a sexual thing. It can be a person who just doesn't like I said early, earlier, you know, it's a dream, but it's not necessarily an ambition. It's like a, it's like you, you, you have something in you, but you don't actually know how to materialize that within the world around you. And it just ends up being a dream that can't actually come down the ladder of abstraction and become something real within the world in a tangible sort of way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the last partner I was with, he was definitely like that. He um, definitely was like that. That's why I couldn't be in the relationship. I was like, I need a ground to like ground into. Like I want stability. And, you know, even just somebody intermediate right now is kind of that way too. Like definitely living up in their 11th house. And um, yeah, so I'm looking just like, I want that solid, stable, person yeah yeah i mean so the good news is that and i say this to my students at oraculos all the time and i say it in kind of like a tongue-in-cheek sort of way but i genuinely mean it that when we understand the cosmic structure pattern of our own astrological constitution it allows us to avert some of these difficulties with a greater sense of clarity and consciousness and preparedness. And so we already know the type as far as what your natal promise has 
delivered to you up until this point, we kind of know the type of this person. And if we keep on looking in here and just talk about more things about this person, we have the ruler of your ninth house coming here within your seventh house. And that is essentially the third house of your partner because if the seventh house is the first house of your partner, then the eighth house is the second house of your partner, and the ninth house is the third house of the partner. And we see Mars there. And we see Mars and Pisces. And I mean, period, we see Mars and Pisces. And I think what that can be an indication of is when we have the rule of the ninth house in the seventh house, it means several things. One of the things it means is that, or one of the things it can mean is that we attract a partner from a foreign country or we attract a foreign partner just because the ninth house, as we know, is the house of foreign partners. It's more so true when we have the ruler of the seventh house in the ninth house that we actually have a partner from abroad but having the rule of the ninth house in the seventh house can also carry that same sort of connotation we attract someone who isn't from around these parts basically now the other thing with this is that the mars and pisces there isn't necessarily the strongest mars in the whole wide world and the mars and pisces is in a sextile relationship with the Neptune. So these guys in your life, they're deeply caught up in their own mind stuff because we have the rule of their third house in their first house. So they're deeply associated with what's going on within their mind. But what's going on within their mind could be a very nebulous thing. What's going on within their mind could be a thing that doesn't really have the ability to stick or a thing that doesn't really have the ability to really represent a source of stability at all. So what that could be is somebody else inviting you to step into their own oceanic experience of, of thoughts that completely bubble over on top of each other, but it doesn't necessarily give you a feeling of really being stable or really being held with stability from a mental perspective, even though for that person, that person might consider himself to be a genius of unparalleled mental proportions. Does yeah, that, yeah. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. I would, I, in my last partner, sometimes I felt like he just loved to hear himself talk. These are some of the things we see in your natal promise as far as these guys are concerned. And all the same, you have your part of fortune in the seventh house, which tells us that at some level, you just genuinely love love. Like love is a very big thing for you and interacting with people and forming intimate connections with people is also a very big thing for you. It's a place where you find a lot of your deep heart contentment. And it's something that means a lot to you specifically. Now, at the same time, with all of that going on, you have the Venus in an exact conjunction to Chiron. Now, I've always said to people that Chiron is kind of like a baby Saturn. So with you having your Venus exactly conjunct Chiron, it's kind of like saying that you have your Venus in an exact conjunction with Saturn to a very large degree. And so Venus Chiron can manifest as the partner who needs to be taken care of, 
or the relationship that you feel alone in because the relationship doesn't actually feel as if it has the ability to really make you feel as if you're in that relationship with somebody else. At the same time, you have the Venus in opposition to the Uranus. And the Venus opposite Uranus is one of the universal signatures. And while I'm not really a universal signature person, it kind of is one of the universal signatures of you getting bored, possibly, with people. And that could be for a number of reasons. It could be for reasons that are very profound, that you find yourself bored on a deeply spiritual level, or it could be for reasons that might be very superficial, that you find yourself bored just because it, it it's not turning you on and it's not really taking you to where you want to be in it. And so you can be a person who can cut and go through, which is a thing we say in Jamaica, you can cut and go through and find yourself, you know, in something today and then in something tomorrow and then in something as a means of you feeling alive, but also because when you find yourself in relationship, one of the things that Venus Uranus can do is it can make us feel unsettled there. Even if the relationship is really the most settling place in the world, the Venus Uranus can always make us identify the fly in the soup. And not even a full fly, probably a tiny piece of a fly's leg is in the soup and that turns you off. And then you find yourself wanting to be elsewhere, wanting to discover another type of love, which, you know, it's exciting when we're younger. And as we're growing older, we really have to ask ourselves, you know, what are we willing to do to be in relationship and whether or not we can find a greater sense of peace in our relationships without having the constant angst of needing to not necessarily move on to another relationship. You know, having a combination like this doesn't directly set you up to being someone who will necessarily leave a relationship to move to another relationship. However, what often happens is because of the part of fortune in the seventh house, in a trine relationship to the Pluto, in your fourth house, basically, those things could create a magnetic effect that you're in the world, you're single, you just broke up with somebody and you find yourself in a relationship before you can even blink your eyes because there is kind of like a relationship magnetism that's occurring within you. Does that make sense for you? Yeah, I really do love um, being in relationships, but actually um, when I became a Buddhist, I I changed my entire life really like I enjoy relationships but I also really found like this a deeper appreciation and that was like 12 years ago um I found like this so I was 22 21 or something like that and so I found like a deeper love and respect for myself and I do finish people's sentences I do get bored very quickly because people are very predictable to me and um I, that's why I like those Uranian characters, because in a way it's almost very unpredictable and it kind of keeps me on my toes, keeps me like wondering, you know, it keeps things kind of different. Um, but yeah, I do, I do notice that like in relationships that are, I can start to wander in my mind, like, oh, wonder what, and that's why social media and like all those platforms, it's just better if I just don't have them. Like my ideal world would be like when I find my person to just like get rid of all of it and just 
let it all go and have a really pleasant, happy life exactly where I am. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, now that we have described this person ad infinitum, it is very well worth us taking a look to see what's coming up within your life this year in these spheres of your life. So we're going to take a look at what's coming up for you from a career perspective, but we're also going to take a look at what's coming up for you in your relationship this year. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So here we have the last solar eclipse, which was on April 30th, 2022. And we have the solar partial eclipse on the outside and we have the natal chart on the inside so the information for the eclipse is april 30th 2022 at 3 27 and 54 seconds p.m in fargo north dakota so if you wanted to pull up that chart alongside the natal chart you definitely could do that as well and the solar eclipse is something that we pay a lot of attention to at Oraculos, and it's something that I pay a lot of attention to within my practice, because eclipses usually give us a sense of a major area of emphasis within the life of a person, and it also can point out a major area of potential crisis within the life of a person. So I like to look at eclipses just to get a general sense of what that major area is for the native within this six month period because basically i know different people talk about eclipses lasting for different lengths of time and some people say the eclipse lasts for just as many months or years as the actual eclipse lasts in terms of minutes and i tend to not subscribe to that i personally believe that an eclipse is going to last for the six months period between the last eclipse and the next eclipse. And so that is what this gives us. This gives us a key to what the last few months of the native's life has been. And so here we see in this eclipse, we have the actual eclipse itself occurring within the 10th house of career for the native. And one of the things that this is saying to me for you is that this year, a major emphasis in your life would have already have been career. Even if you didn't come today and specifically ask about your career, that would have already been highly emphasized as a major area of emphasis and or crisis for you this year, purely based on the fact that the eclipse is happening within your natal 10th house. And we know that by the five degree rule, even though your 10th house cusp is at 14 degrees of Taurus, if a planet is within five degrees of the next house cusp and in the same sign as the next house cusp, we consider those planets to be in the next house. So we basically consider the eclipse as being in your 10th house. So that's the very first thing we see as we start taking a look at this. Now, there's another thing when it comes to eclipses that has to do with the planet that is conjunct the eclipses. Uranus isn't necessarily conjunct the eclipse. The eclipse is basically with an orb of the Uranus. And there are people who will consider Uranus to be the ruler of this eclipse, which is a, an interesting term for me just because I don't necessarily take Uranus as being the ruler of anything. But insofar as an eclipse is concerned, we definitely know that this eclipse does carry the imprint of Uranus within it. And so 
the eclipse as well as the Uranus are here within your 10th house, which is saying for us that the 10th house of career would have been a major area of crisis, as well as a major area of change for you within this last eclipse period. And that may be because the career probably broke open and became something different from what you were accustomed to it being for as long as you've been in it. Or it could be because there was just a major shifting of direction for you within your career itself that may have manifested as a genuine source of crisis or as a genuine source of concern for you within this last eclipse period. Yeah, it's um, with my project, the young adult novel that was originally a screenplay that I wrote into novels. Um, it became an audiobook last year, but now it's like, um, maybe going to become a television thing. I'm just trying to figure out where to go with it. I'm just so exhausted because I just wanted to finally be successful. Like I know it's something like I have to do. Like it came to me through my Buddhist meditation and it just like flows and it's like everything I can put in there. I can teach the chakra system, like, I, but it's like people don't know. And so but it's almost just like super exhausting because it is something that I've spent so much time and energy and put into it. And um, yeah, like I started the first the pilot episode um, and I have to get back to it. But now book three is like really inspiring to me to write, like all just came to me and I'm just excited. But um, and then, yeah, with my other practice, it's almost like I took a horary course. I took all these courses that really opened me up to a new way of practicing astrology, um, which has been really profound. And then just doing events has kind of shifted a little bit. Like I like doing them. Um, but for some reason, this um, next autumn, like a few of them, I wasn't able to get signed up for because I was late. And um, so it just feels like I feel the shifting and like finances. I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out this plan. Like, what are we doing? So yeah, that's definitely like a big emphasis. Yeah. And I mean, with the Uranus being such a major factor within your life and within your chart this year, I think it's also bringing up issues of rapid fire change from one thing to the next. And I think that's one of the interesting things with Uranus. When we get Uranus, we can have our entire lives bursted open, or we can have our entire lives uh, struck by lightning. And in the wake of that lightning, it can feel like there's so much possibility and there's so much potential and there's so much because Uranus is triggering that part of you that's already uh, deeply dedicated to uh, using your rapidly moving minds to acquire more things. And now this year, not only is that something that you have within yourself natally, but it's also the major factor going on within this eclipse. And so you have been in a Uranian funnel of both information and also excitement and also possibility. But there is something about Uranus that's fundamentally very taxing to us in terms of our nervous system. It can really wear us out and it can really feel less exciting and more like overwhelm yeah I would say that's definitely how I feel like um yeah like I couldn't even do this I was going to do like a renaissance festival 
And I just like energetically, I was so exhausted. I had a tension headache. Like I just couldn't do it. (laughs) I just was like, nope, I'm not doing it. This is way too much everything. And that's when I realized like events that I have to set up that much stuff, like I'm really not into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the great things with having a Uranus emphasis within an eclipse is that it does ask you what feels like it fully resonates with your own individuality, particularly as it relates to your work, because this is happening in your 10th house. So the question is, what really resonates with you? What really turns you on? What really makes you feel like you're doing something that you could be proud of or that you could be happy about as it relates to the work that you're doing? Because if it doesn't actually turn you on or inspire you, then that should be something that you you know, throw a bolt of Uranian lightning at so that that thing can leave your life essentially because the Uranus is going to open up the things for you that are exciting and that are beautiful and that are amazing and that are just having you in a state of ecstasy. But it's also going to show you the things that wear you down and that pull you down and that make you feel overwhelmed and that make you get the tension headaches and that make you feel like you just can't mobilize yourself because of how exhausting those things are. Yeah, I definitely bought a lot more books this year. (laughs) Astrology, magic. Yeah, and like my book collection has like doubled in the past Mm -hmm. few months, yeah. Mm -hmm. All I want to do is study. It's just my... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in this chart, we also see the ruler of the ninth house, which is Mars, essentially in a conjunction with your natal part of fortune. And when we have the rule of the ninth house coming to the conjunction of our natal part of fortune, it could represent a period of stimulation because we know that the ninth house has to do with higher learning and education. And the part of fortune is also a part of our happiness, what turns us on, what really inspires us, what really makes us want to get out of bed in the morning. All of those things we find with our part of fortune And having Mars, rule of the ninth house, come to your part of fortune can be a sense of stimulating you through the things you love to grow and to study and to learn or to travel or to do anything of a ninth house nature that can really inspire you to be a better person and to be the highest version of yourself. Yeah, travel has been something I've been wanting to do. I usually do travel a lot but because of my financial situation I kind of had to I usually travel a lot and then I spend too much money and then I'm like oops okay I'm <laughs> to travel but the universe gives me money when I need to travel it's like okay it'll come but yeah I would love to just go to the ocean right now again be there yeah 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 and I think from a universal signification perspective having the Mars conjunctive part of fortune is also bringing up a sense of spending, you know, it's also this year within under the auspices of this last solar eclipse, there was an excessive amount of spending going on. The Mars part of fortune is very similar to having Mars natally in the second house. And when we have Mars natally within the second house, it can cause us to burn a hole through our pocket, basically. So the Mars part of fortune is giving you the ability to do the ninth house things that you love and that really turn you on. But it is also causing you to, you know, really put the pedal to the metal or however that phrase goes insofar as spending money on ninth house things are concerned. And 
that could be a way that could also be another part of this solar eclipses crisis potential insofar as you're spending a lot of money on nine thousand stuff yeah all my money goes to like books and supplements and you know i just i'm like a health fanatic i think it's like my virgo in my second house maybe and so that's where all my money goes and jewel like i love jewelry and rings and stuff it's like <laughs> yep <laughs> So first of all, just a little bit of advice in terms of the career side of things. With the Uranus in the 10th house and the solar eclipse in your 10th house, within this solar eclipse period, there are a couple more months before the next solar eclipse. And I think within that space of time, you can really use that to identify for yourself what are the things within your life that are electric and grounding and satisfying. Because that's really where you need to be focusing your energy in terms of navigating this eclipse. And that may require you to reformat or to rejig how you've done things in the past. And maybe you lose certain connections that used to be meaningful to you in your career previously. But the Uranus or the blessing of the Uranus is that you also can step forward into this moment of completely turning your career story upside down in a way that actually leaves you feeling like you have nothing but a clean canvas with which to paint your future and you have nothing but freedom and possibility with which to really charge forward. So yes, this could be a time that's a little bit tricky as far as finances are concerned, Within this eclipse, we also have the solar eclipse Neptune in a square relationship and applying essentially to a square relationship with your natal second house ruler. So we know that the second house is a house of our money, our finances, our liquid assets, how we feed ourselves and take care of ourselves. So with the solar eclipse Neptune applying to the square of your natal second house ruler, it could be a bit of a nebulous time in terms of finances. It could be a time when it feels like your money is being washed down the toilet, whether it's because you're doing that intentionally through paying for the things that you love, or whether that's because your environment around you is just forcing you into a position or a situation where you find yourself paying far too much money for everything and it's leaving you feeling as if you're in a state of financial deficit, I'd say focus in on the Uranus, focus in where that Uranus is pointing you as far as your personal turn-on points are, because you have a lot of skills and a lot of abilities, and the Uranus is saying, hey, there's one thing within you that's really buzzing to the surface of you right now, and if you can catch hold of that lightning, that, that lightning can actually take you forward in terms of what the next career steps for yourself are going to be. But you can't allow that lightning to split you or to splinter you into multiple directions. You have to hold on to that lightning and use it with a sense of specificity to go down one particular path. And I think the sooner you do that, the sooner you not only stabilize what's going on for you from a financial perspective, but the sooner you also stabilize what your career is looking like in the world at large. Yeah, that makes sense. Like the, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I feel that. Thank you. Good stuff. You're very welcome. Now we need to talk about the not so pink elephant in the room in the shape of this 
solar eclipse Saturn having a conjunction to your natal seventh house cusp. Now, this does a couple things. And I think one of the things it does is it creates a relationship event. And if you're not currently in a relationship, then the sort of relationship event it can be creating is an event of bringing a relationship into your 3D universe. And so that's one of the things we see with the Saturn in the conjunction to your seventh house cusp. This can be the manifestation of a relationship in the 3D plane right now, which if you're wanting a relationship to manifest in the 3D plane right now, that could be a great thing. We also see the solar eclipse Venus in a square to your natal Venus, which is also another indication of a relationship event or a love event, which once again could be great if it's actually great. Both these things already are saying to us there's going to be a relationship event and that relationship event is possibly going to be someone entering your life if you're currently not in a relationship. I think the one thing for me that's standing as a caveat is the fact that we also have the Neptune here and the Neptune is squaring your natal Venus and it's applying to the perfect square of your natal Venus. And I think that when we have the Venus Neptune in this way, it takes us back to what I said earlier about Venus Neptune, where I can feel like a sense of Sun Neptune, rather, where I said that the Sun Neptune lover can feel like a person who doesn't really have his shit together. And similarly, the Venus Neptune can kind of sweep you off of your feet and make you feel like the next person you're going to meet is a thousand times better than the entire accumulation of people who you've met in the past. And at the same time, Venus Neptune is never really a sustainable place to build our actual love stability on. So I think that that is important for you to know in this current solar eclipse period, because there are traces here, very big and real and concrete traces, that there's a relationship that's coming into your life, very possibly still under the auspices of this solar eclipse, which means basically between now and the middle of the fall, a relationship is going to be manifesting within your 3D lived experience. So that's the first thing I want to say to you about the relationship thing. A relationship is on the horizon. It's a very feel-good relationship. And it's a Venus-Neptune relationship, which could be great if you haven't been in a relationship for a while and you want to be in a relationship. And at the same time, it could be not so great if you use that relationship to build the entire rest of your future on. Because we want to wait until after the Neptune has left our Venus in order to really think about things like building the rest of our futures with the person. Because when the Neptune is on our Venus, everybody, the prince and the frog, look like they're worth a million dollars, when in fact they may not be. Does that make sense?
Yeah, it does. Yeah, I had um, a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends, um, him and I kind of started a relationship, but I don't, it's kind of like what you're saying. And like, he's not my ideal type. Like, I really love and adore him, but I'm also like, um, I know what I want. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, there is something else that I found very interesting within your chart, and we'll see that through Uranian astrology. And here we have your chart on the 90 degree dial. And basically, it's just showing us that much more clearly the Venus Chiron contact that you have. And like I said, the Venus Chiron contact is basically just that you're in a relationship with people who don't really have the ability to really be as satisfying as you would want for them to be. And then you might end up feeling a sense of being alone within those relationships. That's the major uh, thing here with this. But you also have Venus-Neptune. And the contact that you have between Venus-Neptune isn't something that we would see within your traditional chart, but it is something that we see on the dial. Here we have your Neptune conjunct that small dot. And on the 90 degree dial, that small dot is corresponding with one of our smallest hard aspects that exists within astrology and that exists within Uranian astrology. And that aspect is the 64th harmonic. And the value of the 64th harmonic is five and five eighths of degrees, basically. So from your Venus to this first small dot is five and five eighths. And from your Venus to this next small dot, which is occupied by the Neptune is five and five eighths. The point is that's basically like having a Venus-Neptune conjunction. And so that ties into a lot of what we've been saying earlier about your previous experiences in love of starting relationships with people and those relationships probably being really nice and really Neptunian at the beginning. But in the end, they give you the other side of Neptune, which is, you know, uh, I really don't know if I like this. I'm really not turned on. I'm really not inspired. This feels boring to me. Like, what am I doing here? I'm so disappointed, basically. And the other thing that we have within your chart is we have the sun occupying this other small dot. And with the sun on that other small dot, it's saying to us that, hey, we have a situation going on between your Venus and the sun as well. Now, Venus and the sun can oftentimes indicate being attracted to the beautiful man, basically, because that's kind of a Venus sun sort of thing that the man who I attract into my life, a man who are beautiful or men who will, you know, you know, like good eye candy as far as that's concerned. But we have to remember that your Venus is always going to carry that Chiron with it. So you are attracting the beautiful man into your life. And you're probably attracting the beautiful man with a quick moving brain into your life as well, because we have the Mercury Uranus as a part of that combination. But you are also attracting the Sun Chiron type. And the Sun Chiron type is very similar to the Sun Neptunian type. And I think that at the end of the day, it really just kind of behooves you to be in a position of knowing that you possibly are going to be the person who is the make it or the break it factor within these relationships because the men who are being either attracted to you or the man who you find yourself attracted to, they all carry this theme of 
the Sun Chiron, Sun Neptune. Now, from a remediation perspective, what you can do with this is you can find someone who's working in the spiritual industry. You could also find someone who's a musician. I think both those things are valid ways of remediating or at least dealing with the fact that you do carry a Venus equals Sun equals Neptune story in your life in general. And so one of the ways to kind of get on the other side of that is by finding someone who literally is working within those fields. So, you know, maybe you're working with someone who is doing herbal medicine, which would be the Sun Chironian type of person, someone who is working as a quote unquote shamanic sort of healer, or maybe you're meeting someone or working with someone who is in the spiritual industry or who is a yoga teacher or who is someone who is a musician so that at least you're going after that type of person as a means of quote unquote preventing the other side of the sun neptune personality to be attracted to you does that make sense yep those are definitely like the people i'm attracted to and even like my last partner i mean i you know he he was kind of that realm in general but just didn't develop his ideas as much and you know my friend who I'm kind of with now sort of he is um in that realm as well so like those are definitely the people that I've like learned have their shit together and like they've learned how to work with that energy yeah and I am attracted to like the beautiful men that is true (laughs) (laughs) oh good for you good for you all right so that is one piece that we see here using the 90 degree dial, which is from Uranian astrology, which is a little bit beyond the scope of what we were supposed to be doing today. But I wanted to bring it up because I thought that it would be interesting. And the next thing that I wanted to do, just because I knew that the love factor was such a big deal for you, was I wanted to take a look at some of the parans or some of the co-angularities that you have going on within your chart as it relates to your Venus to kind of give us another sense of what is to be expected for you within your lifetime as far as the love side of things is concerned. So let's take a look at your Venus parans. So here is your Venus. I'm going to give that a click and we see that your Venus and your Chiron are moving together. And then I'm going to take your Venus and see when your Venus is exactly culminating, is anything else on this red circle of the horizon. And we don't see anything else on the red circle of the horizon, save for the Aries point, which is not really a factor that we are gonna consider. So that's that. Let's see when your Venus is setting, what do we have going on? And over here, we see the Venus, the Chiron and the Mercury is setting. And we also have the Moon, the Uranus and the Saturn rising. So if I were to just take out the Mercury, as well as take out the Chiron. Let's see if that's really your Venus. And yes, we do have your Venus. When your Venus is setting, you have Saturn, Uranus, and the moon rising. And what all of those things are saying collectively for you is one, Venus is showing up in your life as one of the major karmic areas that you're going to have to work with in this lifetime. So love, 
What is love? What does love mean? What does stability in love look like? What does longevity in love look like? How to stabilize yourself in something when it's good enough? Not necessarily it's, you know, 10,000% sweep me off of my feet good enough because the Venus Uranus can keep us in a state of feeling as if we're ultimately going to find that thing that's 10,000% sweep me off of my feet, which is why when all of the Joe Schmoes come around, you may not necessarily feel so inspired by them because the Venus Uranus within you is desirous of something that much greater and that much more. And at the same time, knowing that this is a part of your own natal constitution with you having the Paran of Venus setting with the Saturn and the Uranus rising, it's saying, hey, things don't always work out that way. How can we bring ourselves into a state of really appreciating what's being offered, which isn't the same as settling, but it's appreciating what's being offered without necessarily feeling the need to get up and run. Now, if there's something within that that genuinely makes you feel like, hey, you know, this isn't good for me, it's not healthy for me, I'm actually not okay within this, then definitely. But if you can find yourself to, you know, settle is really the word when it comes to Venus Uranus, because if not, the other side of Venus Uranus is that it can send you around the world for the rest of your life, searching for the one and never actually finding that person. So when we have Venus Uranus, we have to be mindful that there is a tendency to bolt at the nearest exit. And we have to be mindful of, you know, calming that down sometimes to really experience the fullness of what is being offered to us. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I do that in a lot of situations. I feel like that's definitely like something I've had to learn is to just take a moment to like, even with parties or people or events is just like just you know be present be there um but i'm definitely not intrigued by the ordinary and so that can be really troublesome when you live in fargo <laughs> 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 which is why i study all the time <laughs> got, it, got it got it all right that's true with men. That's true as well. I have to do that. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone. That was the end of this episode of Michael's Astrology Hotline. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to join Michael's Astrology Hotline, then visit our website at www.oraculosastrology.com. Check out our services page and sign up for Michael's Astrology Hotline today because here at Oraculos, we're all about helping real people with real astrology to navigate the real circumstances that they're facing within their lives. So until next time, see you very soon. Sending you all my love.